really appreciate y'all being here with us. Uh, many of you have, uh, have been with us through the beginning of this class back early in January. Guys, I appreciate y'all covering last week as well. Did y'all feel like that went well? Oh, yeah. I, you have Good to ask the audience. Okay. Did, I, did they... They were tolerable. It feels like a Jane Austen line. Barely, barely tolerable. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. Yes, and, and straight to the point, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I can appreciate that. So, anyway, and the uh, the elders a couple of weeks ago were uh, were able to step in for us as well. I was. We were in Dallas. We decided let's go somewhere and meet with Linnea's older brother for spring break because uh, they live north of Little Rock and uh, Dallas is roughly equidistant between the two. And it just happened to be 27 degrees when we got to Dallas. And so it was, it was pretty chilly, but yeah, joke was on us. <laughs> but by the next afternoon, it was sunny. It was in the mid fifties. We, we found a little park near our Airbnb. It was a lot of fun. And then I came back, all right, spring break. I'm gonna pa finish painting the downstairs. I'm gonna get a lot of work done. Stomach bug got me on Tuesday, but I did finish painting. Yeah. So with an extension ladder, didn't even need scaffolding. And you've been in my house before. You know how tall that foyer is. Yeah. I was, I was the only one up there and it felt kind of like this. So anyway, we're alive and well. Uh, Linnea is on the road to recovery. She'll be back up and ready to go. But anyway. My whole thing for this class that I wanted us to do was essentially to have a class geared specifically towards new and young Christians. There have not been a lot of new and young Christians join us throughout this class, but that's okay because that is why I'm recording. So if you know a new or young Christian or happen to be one or just want a review of the basics, you can go check these recordings out on our website. But one of the things that I wanted to do was just kind of hit you know, all the, the big topics through you know this 12-ish uh, weeks that we've met together and then on the very last Sunday that we meet together which is next Sunday the very last Sunday I was gonna field whatever questions you have now for me to actually do a good job at that I have provided you with cards that if at any point today you think of a question Feel free to write it down. So this has no bearing. What? Yeah, the part that actually says visitation card on here is not what I am asking you to fill out. So this this is irrelevant. Just use the back of the card. I couldn't find the uh, note cards, and I was trying to get over here fast. Um, Good readings. Yeah. See, that's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah, it's uh, creation care. But um, feel free to if you have a question that you've thought, man, you know, I've always wanted to know a little bit more about this. Or if I mentioned something in our review here today that you thought, oh yeah, he said something about that a few weeks ago. I wanted to ask, I wanted to ask a little bit more about that. Write that down, hand it to me at the end of class, or email me at kevin at kingscrossingcoc.com. And if you want to write that email address down, so you can have it. You don't have to turn my email address into me. <laughs> you could maybe just rip the card and keep my email address, turn in your questions. 
But email me a question if you think of one, and I'll try to answer as many questions. And uh, yeah, we're just going to go through that way. So that's the plan. That's the hope. Also, for those of you who happen to have kids who enjoy rating donuts for other people's classes, mm -hmm. looking at you guys. Let them know next Sunday we will have donuts and kolaches over rating here. Or rating. Raiding, like like the Aramean raiders. Yeah. That jalapeno kolache, yeah, five out of five. Not yeah. bad. Yeah. We have a sixty-point Likert scale. Sixty point. <laughs> <laughs> One for every sprinkle. <laughs> Kevin at kingscrossingcoc.com. Yeah. Kevin at kingscrossingcoc. You know anything about the I don't. So I'll take your <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Psychometry? Psychometry. So it's the study of metrics. How do you design a good survey? Okay. And the study of metrics that I wouldn't choose the word psychometry for exactly. that. Neither would I, but somebody did. Somebody did. Metrology? Metrology or something like yeah, that. Exactly. That would make a little bit more sense. Anyway. It would be yeah. So, onward, onward. <laughs> two weeks ago, feels like forever ago, feels like forever to get into class, <laughs> two weeks ago, we talked about why we worship. For those of you who were here, that was a really fun class. We got to listen to some music, and I asked you to, you know, talk about how that music made you feel. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Um... And it wasn't things like, you know, Hotel California or whatever. It was, it was like soundtrack stuff. What does worship mean? Let's start there. What does worship mean? When you say you worship something, what does that even mean? Praising it, holding it in high regard. Praising it, holding it in high regard. Good answers there, Henry. The only the word I can think of was worship. Like just... That was it. <laughs> yeah. It worship is sort of self, self defining. But something, something you're devoted to, and you spend time. Devoted to. Yeah. Especially when you put it that way. Devoted to it, you spend time pursuing it. Yeah. It, definitely the time is the issue, right? Yeah. Time is like the one thing that everybody kind of has, but nobody knows how much they have of it, right? You know, like time is, you know, what you give your time to and also devotion, that might be a good indicator of what you, what you worship, yeah. I've got uh, down here uh, basically everything that we've said here to give our devotion, uh, also maybe our love, Right? Our love to something. Now, you can love someone without worshiping them, right? You can love someone without worshiping them. But I think to truly worship someone is, you know, there's at least some substantial overlap with what love would look like. Give our devotion, love, and admiration to someone or something, okay? As Christians, then, why do we worship? Why do we worship? To show to show our devotion. We're called to it. Called to it? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you why do you think God does that? Is he 
So opponents, like, you know, uh, opponents of religious belief will say, well, God, you claim God wants your worship because he's an egomaniac. Is that true, or is there something else going on? Why does God call it's us? It's like a parental thing. Like, yeah. our children okay. worship us. You know, like, my mom is the greatest this, my dad didn't do anything, you know, etc. I mean, that's worship, and I think that's the same line we're looking at, right? Parental, like, my God is a great God. He's yeah. He gives me these things. I wake up in the morning that I'll deserve. You know, he makes the sun come up. You know, he's <clears> the star in the sky. There feels like there's... Without saying the word gratitude, there's an element of gratitude in there. Look at what this, in this example, look at what my parents have done for me. There's um, maybe a sense of uh, respect in there as well. Yeah. Also, think he wants us to do it for ourselves, not so much for him. Wants to do it for ourselves. How does worship benefit us? Let's roll with that for a little bit. What do you think? Yeah. It's like they say about volunteering, you know, they always say it's a selfless act, but, you know, we've kind of touched on that before, that it's like the most selfish thing you can do because the feeling you get from your, from doing it, how good you feel, there's yeah. almost no other feeling like it. There really is something, um, something internally, you know, emotionally kind of satisfying, knowing that you did good for somebody, that you... You know, it alleviated somebody's suffering or just, you know, encouraged them in some way. Yeah. I think there's something within us that God put in us that calls us to worship Him. Yeah. Because it says, like, the rocks in the hills will cry out His name. Like, there's something innate within us that without that worship, we're not our full. Well, without God, we're not our full. Being, yeah. We're not our full selves without worship. Without worshiping Him, we're not mm-hmm. fully. Yeah, I think so. Well, as Christians, we should do as exactly what that means, follow Christ. Mm-hmm. And in an effort to follow Christ, we have to follow his footsteps, yeah. look unto him as to what is expected of us. Absolutely. I want to go back to Katie. 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 Yeah. What Katie said. And, um, you know, the scripture tells us that. You know, if, if if you don't worship, the rocks will cry out. Mm-hmm. You know, it tells us that. Yeah. Um, but if you, uh, as a student of history, uh, especially uh, archaeology uh, and anthropology, if you look through the history of humankind and you just take the Bible and you set it aside, every single culture worships all of them. Without question. In some way or another, exactly. absolutely. There's yeah. some love, there, there is worship. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Whether it's to a deity or to nature or something. So God put into us an intrinsic need mm-hmm. to worship. We have to look beyond ourselves. Yeah. You can't, and, and um, having moved down here from Seattle, I was surrounded by scientists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to adapt the way that I just talked with them. Um, because to talk about the Bible was immediately, uh, I was on the interior ground. Sure. So I was one different things to him, but one of the things that we talked about is that system of belief as mm-hmm. a scientist. You know, there is still a system of belief, and there's a, some, there is a level of worship that yeah. does occur, and, and eventually got to that point. So it doesn't matter 
what we're doing. We are going to worship no matter what. Right. So it's there. The question is, is what do you do with it? Yeah. From a Christian perspective, everybody worships. You can even take self-proclaimed atheist states in you know, 20th century history like Soviet Union or communist China and look at how they depict their leaders and the artwork and the songs. And that's not, yeah, and y'all don't worship right, okay, yeah. It helps us, worship helps us fulfill this calling that we have to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That famous verse out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Yes, sir. Well, exactly what you're saying, but you know, then the Gospel of John, when Jesus is praying for those who will believe, they'll know the Father, even as I know the Father, and He will be in them, and, and they will, you know, it's, it's part of that completeness, but it's, yeah. it's eternal. You know, it's us it is. being in communion with and in fellowship with the Spirit that is of the Father and in the Father and the life of Christ mm-hmm. let out that He knows us. And, and, and we're caught up in that. Yeah. It's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a unity there. Right. There's a harmony there, yeah. We also, this is a point that I have been making periodically throughout this whole class that I've been teaching this quarter, we also become like what we worship. We also become like what we worship. And that's something that God knows inherently. A lot of us just nodded our heads, yes, we, that's true. Okay, let me ask, why is that true? Why do you become, why do you tend to become like what you worship? What do you think? And remember, Worship means to give your love and time and devotion and energy and et cetera, admiration to. If you start going down a certain path, you're going to fall on that path, whether it be good or bad. I mean, yeah. If you start going down a certain way, things are just going to kind of kind of go with you on that path. It, in some ways, it does seem inevitable. Yeah. Why else? <laughs> Define old. Define old, Katie. Yeah. Like he'll call. We'll pick up the phone and like my phone is not like hello, and he's there because I was gonna call him and he called. Like there's like a symbioticness of like you've been together so long that yeah. There's just something about that you become more more like one another. Yeah. When I've been in the depot for a lot longer than I was supposed to have been, I'm on my way to... The feels like a common occurrence, Michael. And my wife calls, are you done yet? It's been three hours. But yesterday, <laughs> I was actually on my way to the checkout stand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've been married long enough where you finish each other's sandwiches, right? So. <laughs> Going back to what Henry said, like being parents, how kids look up to you. Yeah. Right. The, that admiration of wanting to be like someone, especially someone that you hold in such high regard, it's, it's transformational. It changes you. The, the way that I 
the way that I write, when I, I was in school, grad school for a long time, and the way that I find myself writing when I'm actually doing some like really intense writing, I write like the teachers whose books I have read the most. And I, I, I word things and I phrase things the way, and I preach the way that I've been influenced the most. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8, book of Romans chapter 8. Excuse me, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The point in these passages that I want us to see is that what you give your devotion to ultimately influences and transforms you. So let's read these. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. 18. There's some fascinating things in these verses. We really could spend a lot of time with these, but uh, I, I want us to see uh, just a couple of things. Starting in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Verse 19, we, could, we really could spend months talking about what verse 19 means. Because the idea here is God has kind of given everybody an indication of what sorts of things he expects. And if you actually are to pay attention to the world and look at it, you might pick up on some of these things. C.S. Lewis runs with this idea in his book, Mere Christianity, and how he kind of lays out the argument for why everybody kind of believes in something like a universal law of goodness. You're not supposed to steal that from me. Why not? Well, that's, that's unfair. Okay, well then, why is that unfair? So then you start kind of going down that train. Verse 20, and then Paul explains what he means in verse 19. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Guys, you should have known about God this whole time. Verse 21, <coughs> verse 21 for although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. Henry, there's an issue of gratitude we mentioned earlier. Gratitude is also transformative. But they became futile, useless in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling humans and birds and animals and creeping things. All right. When he talks about images resembling humans, birds, animals, and creeping things, what's he talking about? Idols. Idols. According to these verses, what is the connection of sinfulness and idolatry? How are these two things connected? Because we tend to make idols out of the things that cause us to sin the most. So we are tempted and we chase after this thing and it becomes an idol for us and then chasing after that we are tempted more go ahead Henry I, was, I don't know I kind of think like because when you make something an idol you go you remove yourself from God you become farther away from God yeah right and it could be anything it doesn't have to be something you know inherently evil it's it not always like, a statue it right it could be like a, a, a statue obviously yeah it could be baseball I love baseball so much. I don't go to church on Sundays because the game is at this time. Yeah. I, love, I love the game. And instead of reading my Bible, I'm watching games that are recorded instead of studying you know, yep. Christ. 
it is an inherently evil, but we make it our idol, so it takes us farther from God. Yeah. So that falls into something against God. It does. Something that can, you know, something that ultimately takes us away, that we give our love and devotion and energy and worship and admiration to. Idolatry leads us into greater sinfulness, which leads us into greater idolatry, which leads us into greater sinfulness. And you can see the downward spiral here. That idolatry and sinfulness function almost like this destructive feedback loop. How many of you have ever been near a microphone that got too close to the speakers? Okay, yeah, you know that terrible noise. That is what's called a feedback loop. Sin and idolatry are essentially the same thing. It's a destructive feedback loop that heighten and worsen the person who is caught in that loop. Another way to look at it is this. Think of addiction, particularly chemical addiction, alcohol, drugs, even tobacco. You get to the point where you medicate with something that is ultimately <coughs> destructive, and when you start feeling bad, you turn to that poison to be medicated, which is ultimately destructive, and in order to feel good again, you turn to your poison, which is destructive in order to medicate, and on and on it goes, because you've learned your, your, your brain physically changes in that process. The good news is when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, your brain can also physically change. Again, it's fascinating how all that works. Take a look at these verses here that Paul has mentioned, uh, talking about God and um, his, uh, his eternal power and all this kind of stuff. What, kind, what kinds of things... Well, tell me about Paul's reality here. Tell me about Paul's worldview. What was that verse uh, Romans 1, 18 through 23. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. In those verses here... Tell me about Paul's view of reality. What all is, what all does Paul believe in? What all does he believe exists? Jews to not know God because everybody, kind of like how we mentioned earlier, everybody has some form of a, of a deity or a belief or a worship. Mm -hmm. So you know there's something greater out there than yourself. You just chose it to be the wind yeah. or the statue or whatever. So everybody knows that there's something greater out there yeah. I guess he's saying there's no excuse not to know God because you know there is something out there you have to pursue. Absolutely. And it's also like bringing to light the lust, the uncleanness, mm -hmm. everything that leads to, it says, who changed the truth. Yeah. Right. Because now you're worshiping everything that you're not supposed to. All these other things. Yeah. Is. Here's a simple question for us. Is Paul's worldview a spiritual worldview? Yeah, yes. The, the pagans around him are chasing after these wrong spirits. But Paul's worldview is, is thoroughly spiritual. There are things that we cannot see necessarily with our eyes, but we can discern, but we can figure out that they're there in some way. 
if we'll just pay attention. Paul's worldview is incredibly spiritual here. Now, ultimately, there are kind of two big umbrellas when it comes to how you view the world. There's the spiritual worldview of the Bible, and then there is another word called the material worldview. Now, when I say material there, what do I mean by material? Madonna. <laughs> Did you say Madonna? <laughs> that was a throwback. Sorry. wasn't expecting that, but I uh, appreciate that. Just the physical world, right. Just the physical world. Only what we can observe is real. The problem is, and like I, I, I know my audience, I know that we're all on the same page here, but the problem with that is that that's painfully short-sighted, right? Just look at what we've been able to observe over the last hundred years. Okay? Our abilities to observe the world around us have increased exponentially. And so to say that, well, I only believe in what I can observe with you know, these special instruments or this you know, experimentation or things like that, like, really, man? A hundred years ago, we didn't know about any of this stuff. I think for us to be able to say that the material world is all we believe in that really misses a lot. And so Paul's worldview here is ultimately the worldview that as a Christian, I am learning to develop and to grow into and to see. Um, for the guys who have been in the military, totally different world. You get in, there's a way to see things. Um, in the world of finance, you see the world very differently. And you recognize, okay, well, you know, these kinds of policies might make these kinds of changes which lead to these sorts of issues. And you can see on down the line a little bit. You might see the trade-offs a little bit better. In the world of medicine, if I, if I can tweak this system here, that will cause these effects which will reduce this inflammation which will make your back not hurt anymore in the mornings. Amen? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that after class. The world around us is spiritual, and we interact with the spiritual world on a daily basis, whether we know it or not. Well, that's true the Bible states that we're uh, fighting against spiritual warfare sometimes. Absolutely. And so when you look at, when you look at something like the news... The news, when the news is doing what it needs to do, the news comments on what is happening in the physical world. Christians need to be able to look at what is happening in the physical world, whether it's goodness and righteousness and justice, or whether it's evil and oppression and tyranny and injustice. We need to be able to look at that and say, something spiritual is afoot here. Because goodness in this world doesn't just happen on its own. We live in enemy-occupied territory. Evil has roots in, in the spiritual realities. Let me ask this. You think about this. When we are, you know, we're, I, want us to, I want us to hone in on this point. The world around us is spiritual, 
and we interact with the spiritual world on a daily basis, whether we know it or not. Is prayer a spiritual activity? Absolutely. Why? We make that connection. Exactly. Yeah. It's an alignment. Prayer is an alignment of our will with God's will. It's an exercise which draws us further into God's rule. Yes, sir. I don't want to take away from that, but it, but it follows on. Um, like, I have a, a, an acquaintance of mine that I've been talking with about God for many years. It's been a very slow transition. Sure. Um, this is someone who believes themselves to be spiritual. And they talk about these, this whole con- this, the concept of mantras, you know, just saying it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Know, the, what is it? The, the positive thinking exercises and things like that. Yeah. And I said, you realize that that is simply just a prayer. That's all that that is. It's just a prayer. The difference between what you're doing and what I'm doing is you're saying the same thing over and over again to assure yourself and build your confidence. What I'm doing is I'm attempting to let go of that. Yeah. That's the difference between the two concepts because I'm not in control. I have to recognize submission. Yeah. That's the difference. And I think that put that made this person think a whole lot more about the presence of God mm. within our lives on a regular basis yeah. than anything we had talked about previously. Yeah. Uh, well, you were able to draw from something they were already doing, something they appeared to believe in. Yeah, yeah. Say, so, okay, I, I can relate to what you're doing. What you're doing is very similar to this, and you can show that similarity. Is the Lord's Supper a spiritual activity? Okay, why? <laughs> Why is it a spiritual activity? How so? It's a representation of the blood and the fruit of the vine and the body and the, and the bread. Yeah. You know, and then giving yourself over as in, I mean, taking the time, you know, uh, asking for forgiveness, you know, and then also <clears throat> the Bible, if you're not right with God, don't do it because that's also a spiritual connection. And now you're turning it into a physical thing where I got to take this cracker, I got to take this juice every week. Right. When it's not, it should be spiritual. So if you're not right with God, then don't do it. You know, so there's. Oh, absolutely. That's like one of the most spiritual things we do is the Lord. Yeah. And the representation of what it means. Exactly. Those are, those are spiritual symbols. Jesus' blood. Yeah. Jesus' blood. That's a spiritual symbol. The, one of the things that I have found for me, um, and, and again, this is just me, um, I, I started years ago getting much more interested in the um, the language of the Bible, like what is it actually trying to tell us, mm-hmm. and how have, how have things changed from what was written to what we have? And it's not that things have changed to where they have introduced something that wasn't there, but we have certainly put things in place. As as a for instance, in talking about worship and talking about spirituality, we're actually talking about terms that. In the time of Jesus, the concept was there, but the word itself that they would use for that was not necessarily the same thing. They had multiple. I think words. I see, yeah. And so, I mean, just as a for instance, we're, if you turn to Romans 12, 1, everybody who's heard this, 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Or, and some, uh, depending upon the translation, your spiritual act of worship. That word, spiritual act of worship, is notoriously difficult to correctly translate. Exactly. However, if you go back to Greek and just take the Greek at its, at its bare minimum, the word for the word that's there, worship doesn't exist. That word does not exist in the Greek. Yeah. Because he just simply says, present the bodies of you a sacrifice living and holy to God, well pleasing, which is a reasonable service of you. That's it. Yeah. There is no there is no worship in that term. He's saying your service. The word worship doesn't show up there. Yeah. Exactly. And, but you, but we look at that word and we don't think about it because we've been taught this. It's not again. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. What I'm saying is that sometimes we look at this and we we miss what's behind it mm -hmm. because everything that we've said links back to service. It goes back to service, not service. Oh, we're sitting in the service. Right. Yeah. Service is that we are participating with God, mm -hmm. acting with God. Yeah. And that's, that's what worship is, is acting with God. Showing how all of these things are deeply spiritual. Absolutely. Here's a, another easy question for you. Is baptism a spiritual activity? <laughs> uh, right, yeah. Uh, okay, how so? Why? Why is that a spiritual activity? Yeah. Yeah. It's a physical thing that deeply... Deeply spiritual. In baptism, you're sorry. Go ahead. Well, it says that you're buried, and so that's spiritual because yeah, you're not really actually being buried, but that is what it represents. Buried, and then when you come back, you're in you. You are transferred mm -hmm. from the power of death and darkness mm -hmm. to the kingdom. Which, when the Gospels use the word kingdom, either kingdom of heaven in the Gospel of Matthew or the kingdom of God in Mark and Luke, what it means, the, king, the word kingdom there means un under God's reign, under his rule, under his authority. In baptism, yeah, you're not physically buried underground. You're physically buried for a brief moment underwater. And then you're brought up, but at that moment you're, you're transferred from this dominion of evil and death and darkness to this dominion of life and peace and beauty and goodness. Yeah. All right, here's an, another easy question. Is gathering for church a spiritual activity? Yeah. Way to go. It's physical and spiritual. And we need, I think one thing that we need to gradually learn, because I know I myself have needed to learn this, I need to make sure that I don't always draw such a hard distinction between spiritual and physical. Because if we read the Gospels and we take them seriously, there's a number of instances where spiritual realities have very physical kinds of, um, kinds of manifestations. It's, it, 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 that's just how it is. Sacrificing animals, for example, that's a very physical act. Very physical but act. At that point, that's one of the most spiritual things they could have done. Yeah, exactly. 
taking what we did this morning, taking bread and the cup, physical things that have very real, that are very real spiritually. Does spiritual mean less real? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And it's easy for us to kind of uh, feel that way sometimes. I think it's, the, it's that place where you're taking things that are absolutely normal, everyday, not spiritual things at all, a cracker, grape juice. Yeah. And in the Old Testament, an animal, there's nothing there. If you grew up on a farm, there's nothing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. when they become in, yeah. Kind of like the, inc- the, the incarnation? Yeah. 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 The lesson this morning where uh, that soldier went or whoever he was, that he just, they told him that that's where you need to go because that's where God said it was yeah. spiritual in the sense of you follow what he says. Yeah. And it will happen. There's a. Actually, when he actually followed his instructions, it happened. He got cleansed. And that's something spiritual, I would say. Yeah. We're near the end of our time, and I've got about four points left, so we'll just kind of run through these some quickly. What role does the Holy Spirit play in the life of the believer? What, is he, what does the Holy Spirit do? If you could summarize it briefly, what does the Holy Spirit do? Guides you, connects you. Yeah. It generates within you the kind of life that Jesus had. It prompts you to do the kinds of things that Jesus did. The Bible says it's your comfort and he will help you. Exactly. And if I asked, what's the fruit of the Spirit? That word fruit there means results. The word fruit means, it, it's the word that literally means apple, orange, grapes, etc., but it also metaphorically means results. So what's the fruit of the Spirit? Go ahead and you can sing the song if you want. Yeah. All those things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Long-suffering, depending on which version of the Bible you grew up reading. Yeah. All those things are things that the Holy Spirit generates evidence, evidence. The in your life. if somebody looks at you and they don't see love joy peace patience kindness goodness etc uh-oh uh-oh jesus so that's if you could summarize just briefly what does the holy spirit do the holy spirit generates within the believer the kind of life the kind of character that Jesus had. So if you could summarize very briefly, what was Jesus's ministry? What was his role? What would you say? Bring us closer to God. Bring us closer to God. That's one way, yeah. And accurate too, yeah. His role? 
Yeah, what, like what, how, how would you summarize Jesus' ministry? He was the example. He was the example. Yeah. Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. Yeah, yes, sir. In, it, the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the <coughs> was significant. It was a physical act into a spiritual connection. Mm -hmm. Under the new law, there is still that, but now it's more about the spiritual connection, which generates the physical act. And so it's a transition from the inter with Jesus. It's going from the law being a constant physical um, set of activities to being a constant spiritual mindset. Yeah, and, and even and even in the old law, mm -hmm. the the physical laws of things like you know if you finish reading Deuteronomy chapter 6. You know, these commandments that I'm giving you today, bind them on your hands, put them on your doorposts, talk about them when you go in your house, when you leave, when you lie down, when you get up. That kind of physical activity has real spiritual results. What I was going to have us read was based on Matthew chapter 12. We don't have time to turn there, but basically... To summarize Jesus' ministry, Jesus enters into what I described the world as earlier, enemy-occupied territory. And he begins reclaiming creation, especially humans. He begins reclaiming creation for the kingdom of God. And then one of the cool things is, and we'll, we'll, we'll finish up with this. Your Christian life brings you into the front lines of what is ultimately a, a, a war that has already been won by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and his ascension to God's right hand. But your Christian life is so much more than don't drink, don't smoke, <laughs> don't chew, and don't date girls who do. <laughs> Did anybody hear that growing up? Yeah, okay. Richard, I don't know if you might have heard, you might not have heard that growing up. But um, are your Christian life is so much more than just the, the handful of things you don't do or the words you don't say. It's so much bigger. It is cosmically significant. <coughs> so Christian life, it's not supposed to be just boring and all oh, you don't get to have any fun or anything like that. No, 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 no. It's incredibly deep and profound and transformational. And it just takes time to gradually begin to see all those things. So, finish up with this. Although humans were created in God's image to work with Him to rule creation together, in Genesis chapter 3, we see that we squandered that privilege and rebelled against God. And through baptism into Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that indwelling Holy Spirit empowers us to fulfill Jesus' ministry of bringing the world back under God's reign and rule. Guys, we're over time. Really appreciate y'all.
Bring your questions next week or email them to me and uh, we'll have uh, donuts and kolaches and everything. Appreciate y'all very much.